Hey, good morning. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Reveal, in which we're going to look at the idea of revelation throughout Scripture. Not just the book of Revelation, but the topic Revelation. What does God reveal? What has God said to us about himself? What has God said to us about us? And why does God choose to reveal what he does reveal? If you could ask God any question, what would it be? Would it be about your future? Would it be about the world and its future? Would it be about uh, where you're going to live? About who you're going to marry? About whether or not you're going to go to heaven when you die? Would it be about the future of your children and grandchildren or the election this year or the election 10 years from now, where our country will be? Would it be about the effects of our choices on the world? Would it be about the choices that you make in investing on your future bank account? I wonder what you would ask God if you could ask him to reveal something. Many of us have interest in that kind of information because God holds information that we don't hold. He knows the future. We would like to know that future. We feel like we could be more responsible or make better choices if we had that information. We think, in other words, that it's information that we need. But is it? And if so, why wouldn't God give it? And what does God give us? What does he think we need? These are all questions that have to do with the topic of Revelation. So today we're going to intro this topic by looking at Revelation chapter 1, the first eight verses, and then a few things that are said by Jesus and about Jesus. So today we're going to talk about Jesus and Revelation. Begin with me in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, where John will give an announcement a blessing or beatitude, an introduction and a greeting, a doxology, which is a specific kind of prayer giving glory to God, and then a second announcement, and then finally, at the very end of today's reading, he gives an actual revelation, an actual reveal is given. So let's just read through the text again together, and I'll describe each of these pieces, and you can take notes or begin thinking about what these might mean. Uh, the announcement, verse 1 and 2. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A process is described by which God the Father decides to reveal information and he gives that information to the Son, Jesus, who gives it to his trusted angel, who gives it to John, the trusted minister and servant of God, who then writes it down and sends it to seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. And then those churches preserving the document and passing it on have shared it with us indirectly through the copying of those documents. And we trust that this whole process is the will of God and has been led by the Spirit of God so that we have this piece of Scripture in the 21st century. What an act of revelation. So indirect in some ways. God isn't coming to you and me this morning and speaking these words audibly. He's used the process described here to reveal something to us. This is the announcement that John makes. 
Then John gives a blessing or a beatitude. And in the book of Revelation, there are seven of these beatitudes. They're similar to the beatitudes that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are, and so this little phrase, blessed are or blessed is, means happy, content, living the life, full of life are the people like this. So blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. First insight today that John reveals to you is that if you read this book out loud, this prophecy out loud, it'll be a blessing to you. Well, that might be worth doing right there. Just taking the challenge to do that, to read this out loud, to see with your eyes, hear it with your ears. It will reveal things to you that will be a blessing. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. So there's more to it. There is taking it to heart because the time is near. So this is the beatitude, that by listening, by reading, by hearing this book of prophecy and taking it to heart, you'll be blessed. That's true of all God's revelation. When God reveals something about himself to us, we're blessed if we see it, we're blessed if we hear it, and we're blessed if we take it to heart. So God does have information for us. Now, information is power. Information is power because with information, you have options. You can act on information. Without information, you can't act on it. You can't act on what you don't see coming. That's why in our world, we have examples of information being linked to power. Consider insider trading in the stock market. Having the information gives you a lot of power to buy or sell stocks, make money and fortunes, or uh, collapse other fortunes. So insider trading is a big deal. There's laws that regulate what can be shared, when it can be shared, because that information is power. And the same is true in leadership whether it's a government at the national level or the local level or church leadership or the leadership of a company or a public service of some kind. The people in charge have more information than the rest of the people often because that information sometimes has great power. Now this can easily lead to corruption, but it can also be used to bless people depending on the quality and the goodness of the leadership. For instance, in churches, a good counselor or minister doing counseling might have information about congregants that stays private for their protection and their benefit so that they're not gossiped about, so that people don't look at them wrong, so that people don't judge them. And yet, it's possible that there's other kinds of information that is kept private or secret uh, because people don't want things to be revealed about themselves. And so, Private information often leads to power struggle, that people will wrestle over being, to put it in Hamilton terms for the second week in a row, in the room where it happens. And this is a very important idea, that access to information, and access to decision-making, access to what is going on and when it's happening, has to do with power. So when God reveals to us something in this reading today, that gives you some power. You have an opportunity to act in faith, to believe God, to obey Him, to make changes in your life in obedience to what God reveals. And yet, maybe what God reveals is not directly the answer to the questions you would like to ask. Instead, what is revealed is what is real. In fact, what is real is the only thing that can be revealed. 
And so God will reveal what is most real in order to help you think about everything else in your life, like a hypothetical future that isn't yet real to you. God will reveal what is real to help you think about everything else, to give you a framework by which to judge and weigh the rest of your life and your decisions. So look at how this happens in John's greeting and then in his doxology. John says he's writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. That's his introduction. And then in verse 4, he says, Grace and peace to you from, and now he's going to reveal what is most real of all things, from him who is and who was and who is to come. So from God, who eternally is unchanging. That's what's most real. And then John says, From the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. What is most real that needs to be revealed? What is most real is that God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was, he is, and he is to come. What is most real is that the sevenfold spirit of God is complete. The spirit of God, his leading, guiding, discerning Holy Spirit is perfect. It's the fullness of spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit we can trust. What is true, what is real, is that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the anointed one, that he's the faithful witness, he's the firstborn from the dead, that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That is what is most real. What seems real to us today might be the stock market. What seems real to us today might be the conspiracy theories about what is really happening in government, about secret information in the world, about secret information in the church, about the secret information in our communities. But what is most real, what can actually be revealed, is God's character, God's spirit, Jesus the Christ, who is ruler of the kings of the earth. He is more real than they are. He is more substantive than they are. All else compared to him is like a mist, like a vapor that passes, that can be blown away by a breeze. And what remains, what is revealed is God unchanging, spirit in perfection, Jesus, ruler of all kings. This is John's greeting. I mean, it's a, one of the greatest openings to a letter or a book of the Bible that is possible to write this way about God. So John erupts into praise, a doxology. This is what we find in verse 5 and 6, a doxology. A doxology means a specific kind of, of praise that gives glory to someone. This is a prayer that gives glory to God. Uh, let's, let's look at these words together with the proper reverence. To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. John responding to what is most real. 
a vision of the unchanging God, of the full spirit of Jesus, the ruler of kings. John says, to him who loves us and has freed us, be glory for, forever and ever. Be power forever and ever. Amen. John reveals some great truths here. God has made us to be a kingdom. He's made us to be priests. We could unpack those and talk about those, and those would be messages on their own. But today I want you to recognize John is giving glory to God because God has revealed what's most important, his unchanging nature. And he's revealed that through Jesus. The Father gives Jesus the message, he gives it to the angel, he gives it to John. But in history, God revealed himself to us most fully, most permanently, most clearly through Jesus. Jesus Christ in this world is the best lens by which we can see God, to understand God. When I say lens, I'm talking about a piece of glass that reflects light, that bends it to shine on a specific place like the retina of your eye or the sensor and camera lens. Today I was sitting with John Dias. Yes, our very own John Dias. We had breakfast together today. We were talking about cameras and how they work and how the science of light in a lens and on a sensor works. And it's fascinating because what the study of sight reveals to us is that we never see the real thing. When you and I think that we're seeing the real thing, what we're always seeing is an interpretation of the thing. This is why if you put on a new pair of glasses or contact lenses, sometimes you'll trip and stumble over a step that you've walked up a thousand times. You'll reach for a water glass and knock it over and feel clumsy, like you're a kid all over again when you're wearing a new set of lenses. You've had the prescription adjusted. Why is that? Well, our body gets used to a certain interpretation of what we're seeing through the lenses that we have. When the mind sees through those new lenses and the light is bending a different way, it is catching up to interpret what we're seeing. It might take a few hours or a few days before we reach for the cup with confidence and step on the step without tripping. And the same is true in photography. Whenever you take the picture of a person, you take their portrait with different kinds of lenses, you get different results and you can, you can well, in fact, you can set this up on your own if you'd like a science experiment and you have a camera with multiple lenses. If you've got a shorter lens and a longer lens, like let's say a 50 millimeter and a 100 millimeter, you can set up a person in a stool and then at a certain distance, take a picture with the shorter lens. Fill in a certain amount of wall around their face and then with the other lens, you walk back further and you set it up at different distances so that you're capturing the same amount of wall and the same amount of face. So that, you know, if it's bricks or something behind them, you've got the exact same lines outlined. And then print those pictures and lay them side by side. And what you'll notice is that the boundaries of the photo are the same. You've got the same number of bricks in each photo. You've got the same amount of face in each photo. But the face shapes of the person, the same person, the same day, the same chair, same camera, two different lenses, their face shape will look different. One, they'll look longer and skinnier. And the other one, they'll look a little shorter and squatter. And one of them, they're going to pick and they're going to say, I love that portrait. I don't like that one so much. How can that be? Well, both of them are shaping light to land on a sensor. In other words, none of them are perfectly showing you the real thing. 
They're doing as best as they can to get close to it. Jesus is showing us God more closely, more accurately, more specifically, more clearly than any other reveal of God. Whenever a preacher tells you God spoke to me, that might be great. (laughs) But it's Jesus that we check that message through. When a church says God has called us to, that might be a wonderful mission, a wonderful idea. But we check it through Jesus, the real lens. When people feel that their prayers have been answered, they have peace one way or the other, we check that through Jesus. Everything that we believe about God, every preference that we have for our life, is susceptible to this distortion of our sight. But Jesus is the lens. Jesus is the reveal that helps us to see clearly. Look, John writes in verse 7, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. This prophecy John gives is that one day everyone will see Jesus. You'll see him, I'll see him, we'll all see him for real because he is real. And then when we see him, We will see that portrait matched against all the other portraits that we've taken in our life of him and and of ourself and of how we relate to him. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. People will see the real thing and they'll say, Oh, if only I'd known. People will see the real thing and they'll say, oh, I was wrong. People will see the real thing and they'll say, this is the thing I've always been looking for. This is the thing of which everything else in my life was a cheap imitation. Every other pursuit, even every worship song, was just an image trying to capture this real thing. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So this is the only quote from God in today's reading, the only actual words that John records from God for us. The revelation itself is this final sentence. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the permanent thing, the real thing, the Almighty. Now, Scripture talks to us clearly and plainly about how God wants us to measure his reveal, his revelation. What is it that God has said? Who is it that God is? What does God care about? What does that look like in a human life? And to all of those questions, God's answer is Jesus, the Son. Jesus Christ is the one. So we could take some examples from Jesus' own words and some from words that the apostles wrote about Jesus. And I want, to just, I want to just share a sprinkling with you this morning so that you can see some of these important verses about how Jesus reveals God to us most perfectly, how he is the true lens. He is the real portrait. John 1.14, same author earlier in his life. John writes, the word became flesh. See that? The very message of God, the very word of God, what God wanted to communicate put on flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John claims God wanted to reveal, and what he revealed was Jesus. We've seen him, John saw him with his own human eyes, touched him with his own human hands, and then translated him to us with his own words, written on paper, on parchment. So John says, we saw the real thing. This was not a cheap fake. This was not an imitation. There is information that God alone has. And and information is power. To know this is real power. And we've seen it. And it's Jesus. He came full of grace and truth. Later, John 14, 9, John says that Jesus, speaking with his apostles, was asked a question by Philip. Will you reveal the Father to us? Will you show us God? Will you show us the Father? And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus asks Philip, Haven't you known me? Then you've known all you need to know. All your questions aren't answered, Philip. Where will you be? What should you spend? Who should you do it with? How will it all end? All of your questions are not answered. But with me, you're in the room where it happens. With me, you're in the place where the deciding is done. This is the ruler of kings of the earth. This is the overcomer of death. This is the Lord of life, the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus, is real. So he's what's revealed. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, the introduction to this great sermon that was written by an early Christian, goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. So God revealed through words. He he talked to people. He did this through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So Jesus, the Word of God, is how God has revealed things now. The final, best, perfect revelation of the will of God. The Son is the heir of all things, through whom God made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. That's another time we've seen the word glory, just like John 1, just like Revelation 1, Hebrews 1, starts off with the glory of God, and that glory is Jesus. He is, in Hebrews 1, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. (laughs) John the Revelator in Revelation 1 almost seems to be underselling Jesus compared to Hebrews 1. John in Revelation 1 says he's the ruler of the kings of the world. That's power. But in Hebrews 1, this author says, you know, anything that you can touch, it's only there because Jesus is speaking it into existence right now. That is power. So all the rulers, all the kings of the world, their very being, their very existence is only there because Jesus is speaking them, sustaining them by his powerful word at this very moment. The same is true of you and me. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in union here in this work. Colossians 1, this one by Paul, another beautiful insight into what is real. 
The Son, verse 15, Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So again, there's a theme of power. Jesus is in charge. Even things that are unseen are made by and in Jesus. And all thrones, powers, authority, all of that belongs to him. He is, verse 17, before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, and firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, very much like Revelation 1. Verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, all the fullness of God in Jesus, what is real. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, in all of these scriptures, what the Holy Spirit is telling us, what God is telling us through scripture, is that it's Jesus that we look to. He is the permanent thing, the foundation stone, the cornerstone. It's by him that we measure all reality. We might think that we're rich or that we're poor, but we measure that based on Jesus, not based on economics. We might think that we're talented or that we have no ability, but then we look to Jesus and we measure that by Jesus, not by a modern sophistication or opinion. We might think that we're savvy or smart or witty, intelligent in many different ways, but we, we go back to Jesus and we measure that by him, by his cross, by his resurrection. He is the most real. We want so badly for God to give us answers about the future of our life and the future of our world, but God wants to give us a better answer about what it means to be permanent what it means to be rock steady, what it means to be solid in turbulent times, and what that looks like is Jesus, because he reveals the nature of the unchanging God and the full sevenfold spirit. Jesus put it in these words, his own words, in Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus sees as his mission, proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming that repentance uh, and the forgiveness of sins is at hand, that it's here, that it's near to us. Jesus sees this mission as being one of revealing God in his permanence, in his presence, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, never changing, always steady, here for you in turbulent times, so that no matter what may come in your life, what may come of 2020, if this is the end of the world as we know it, as the old rockers used to sing, that God is never at his end. So pray with me today, the doxology of Revelation 1. And throughout the coming weeks, we'll talk more about why God reveals these things to us. Pray with me the doxology of Revelation 1. I'm in verse 5, and I'm going to read verse 5, uh, the second half of it, and verse 6. To you who love us and who have freed us from our sins by your blood. 
and have made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God our Father. To you be glory and power forever and ever. And the church together says, Amen.